have a um, smartphone, you can download the, um, we have Wi-Fi here, you can download um, the uh, Version app, has a lot of Bibles in it for free. So, I mean, there's no need even to buy a Bible today with all the access that we have. But uh, I just encourage you to get you a Bible, and if you want a paper Bible, we'll get you one. We'll find one for you. Um, we have Bibles all over the place here, and uh, we would love to sow that to you and help you out. And uh, praise the Lord. Amen. Did you bring yours tonight? Yes. All right. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're in a series of messages called Dream Again. I'm having a blast teaching this series. This Sunday, we talked about how that when we say what God says, we begin to see what God sees, and uh, that if you want your vision to change, you've got to start saying stuff that God says, because you know if, if you say what you say and you keep saying what you say, you're going to keep seeing what you see, and you always have what you have. So you've got to start saying something different. You gotta, you know, it's like the person that says, I can never forgive. Well, if you can keep saying you can never forgive, guess what? You're never going to forgive. You never see yourself forgiven, and you won't forgive. Um, and I actually had somebody tell me that one time. I mean, I, uh, not that long ago. And I was like, they're like, well, I can never forgive my, uh, I can never forgive my parents. I never will forgive them. And, and I said, but you know, what about forgiveness? And you know what God's forgive? I can never forgive them. Well, as long as they keep saying that over their life, uh, nobody's going to budge them towards forgiveness. It's just never going to happen. And so you have to say what God says to see what God sees. Vision is created out of spoken word. Vision, everything that is cre- everything that is seen, now listen to this, everything that is seen has been created out of something that was not seen. Now that sounds like a conundrum, but uh, the truth is, is that everything that is seen, this is in the book of Hebrews, everything that you and I see has been created out of things that are not seen, that is spoken things, things that God says. For example, God said, let there be light, and then there was light. Well, light came, took off because God spoke it, and as he spoke it, earth came forth because he spoke it. So all of the things that you and I see have been created out of things that were spoken. Nobody, uh, you know, these chairs that you and I sit in, this building that, we were, that we're in, they didn't exist at one time. But somebody began to speak it, And then they began to create it, and then it came to pass. Every house you see on the blocks down here as you drive through town, every one of those houses was spoken before it was ever built. You agree with that? Sure it was. Somebody started talking about it. Somebody started talking about their dream, about the house they wanted, or maybe they saw some diagrams, or they said, you know, we want to do this. They began to speak it. A contractor began to speak. As those things are spoken, then they come into the reality of existence. And so that's how God works in our life. When we say what God says, we begin to see what God sees, and then we begin to have what God says that we can have. Now, that's where we were at this past uh, Sunday. So this past weekend, about Dream Again. In the book of Mark chapter 8, we start reading in something we got into a little bit on Sunday. Omar painted a really great picture with this uh, by the Spirit about the loaves and fishes. And uh, this is the story of the testimony of when Jesus not fed the 5,000, but when he fed the 4,000. So he did this more than one time. 
And uh, so in this particular account, he's going to feed 4,000 people uh, in this one meal. But I want you to notice as we look at this, that in the midst of all of this, a great problem exists. We see the great miracle that's here because we're reading after the fact. But if we put ourselves in the disciples' place, we see this was a great dilemma for them. And Jesus knew all the time how he was going to handle it. Because remember, Jesus, he would say what the Father said. And so therefore, he saw what the Father saw. And so he always had what the Father had declared, Father God had declared for him. But in this passage, it begins to talk about this dilemma or this problem that exists for the disciples. And so I want you to look at verse 1 with me. And I'm reading this out of the King James Version this evening. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. You think I preach a long time. I mean, he did a three-day sermon here, right? Three days. And he said, uh, if I send them away fasting to their homes, to their own homes, they will faint by the way, for divers or many of them came from afar. And his disciples answered, answered him and said, so he's telling them this problem. And his disciples answered him in verse 4 and said, Where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And it's interesting, in the NIV, the word that's used here, it says, how can we feed people here in this remote place? In this remote place, this place, wilderness, where we're at, where, I mean, there's no store, there's no baker, there's no place. (coughs) First of all, we don't have anything, and I don't know how in the world you think we're going to come up with anything. And he asked them, how many loaves have you? And they said, we got seven loaves. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and he gave thanks, and he brake, and gave it to his disciples, and set it before them. And they did set them before the people, and uh, they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them before, also before them. And they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat or the bread and the fish that was left seven baskets they had eaten. And it says in verse nine, and then when they had eaten, there were about 4,000 and he sent them away. Now, I want you to see the dilemma. Now, in the other one where he fed the 5,000, it was a little boy's lunch and it was a much smaller uh, portions than what Jesus is talking. Obviously, this is the disciples storehouse. This is their stuff. So they traveled with food and he said, what do we have, guys? seven loaves, you know, so what's the accumulation of what we have? What can we use with with what's available here uh, in our group? And the disciples are like, well, we don't have anything. We can't do anything about the problem. And I think this is really important for us to recognize uh, tonight and to recognize from this passage that these guys really believed that they were in a place of limitation. They were in a place of limitation. And In this place of limitation, for them, they didn't see the possibilities, they only saw the problem. And all of us face in our lives limitations. In fact, I'll tell you that every miracle that you have that you need in your life is in a place of limitation right now in your own life. That you and I, we face difficulty, we face challenges, but 
you know, it depends on how that we view those problems when they happen or those difficulties when they're going on and the possibilities that are available to us. Some people give up, throw in the towel, say there's no way. That's what the disciples were trying to do. But, you know, Jesus was a lid lifter. He didn't like to leave people where they were at. So he was like, look, guys, you're only looking at it this way. Let me help you look at it a different way. All right. Their first response was, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. Now, they knew they had bread because obviously they knew right away they had seven loaves. And they also knew they had a couple of fishes. But in their mind, in the atmosphere that they were in at that particular moment, it was an atmosphere of limitation. We don't have enough to be able to take care of 4,000 people or how many ever are here. We can't do anything about it. But see, what Jesus thought was is that, Lord, that we are not in a place of limitation. We're in a place of leverage. We're in a place where we can take what we have and put it before the Father, and the Father will take what we have, and he will multiply it. He will take what we have, and he will multiply it. So I don't know how you view the situations going on in your life right now, how much money you've got, where your health is at, what's going on in your family. But I can tell you that all of us are faced with days that we feel like we're very limited in what we can do and we feel like we don't have enough and we're not able to do what we want to do and we're not going to be able to do what we want to do. And so there's nothing that we can do. And sometimes what we, 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 we think out, and we'll hear this a lot from people, is people will say, well, you just need to think outside the box. You know how all of us are like have this life that's a box, right? And, and so that's our stuff and our, our knowledge and information and everything that we understand. And that's the box that we live on and in, excuse me, and that we need to think outside the box. But here's the problem. What happened to the disciples didn't happen from them thinking outside of the box. It happened with them using what was already in the box. And so what can happen to us is that we think, well, I don't have what I need, so I'm not doing nothing. And Jesus is saying, guys, we already have everything we need. We already have everything we need. Now, you know, I'm not opposed to thinking outside the box as far as being creative, and obviously this was a creative process for them. But at times we can get in a place in our lives where we're like waiting for the resources to come and the resources aren't coming because you're not using the resources you already have. Thank thank you, Pastor. That was awesome. (laughs) Can I say that there is no place in your life where you will not face limitations? And here's the, here's the real big problem. We're gonna, you're, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyways. The problem is, is that you're too familiar with your own circumstances. And so you become familiar with it, and so you just think, oh, nothing's going to happen. You know, you're married to this person. You're like, yeah, they're not going to change. They're going to be like this forever. They're always going to be that way. All oh, my kids, you know, what I've been to, oh, they're, well, you know, unless something miraculous happens to them, they're never going to get on the right path. I mean, the stuff that, because we get familiar, we get familiar with our own pain that we deal with in our bodies. We are familiar with the pain in our emotions. We get familiar with our surroundings. And remember, we like, we like familiar stuff. You know, tonight, I mean, it was unfamiliar to me. I, the ushers came up to pick up the offering 
For 25 years that I've been here, they've gone that direction. 25 years. They go that way. They've always gone that way. That's the direction that they would go. And that's where the, that's where the safe is. And, and this today, tonight, first time ever, ever in 25 years, they started walking that way. And in my mind, I thought, where are you going? And they were walking really fast. And, you know, I know there's a door up there. So I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, Sunday I talked a little bit about this, how that, that change always makes us incompetent. It does. It, it, and that's not a, a put down in any way. Change just makes us incompetent. It's just a different atmosphere. It's a different environment. And so we're not familiar with it. We don't understand it completely. We haven't been in it in a while. But change can be exciting too. It doesn't necessarily, just because we don't know, doesn't mean it can't be fun, right? It can't be because it's different. It's something new. See, we get familiar with stuff. So we've been doing stuff the same way, the same way. In Marietta one time, I, I, it was so funny. We, our, our, our services faced, um, they were faced sideways. We had it sideways like this. And I really felt like the Lord told me to make it go long ways. And so we put this once, one Sunday we had church announced we're going to be making some changes during the week. Come back next week. It's going to be awesome. And so we put the stage down at the end. It was a movable stage. We put it at the end and then we lined all the chairs up. I watched people just for the fun of it. I watched people come in the back door and try to figure out where they used to sit. Some of you tonight are sitting in the same place that you sit in every time you come here. Now, I'm not being critical. Yeah, I know. I'm not being critical of that. I'm just saying we like, we like the comfortable, what's familiar to us, right? But remember that familiarity can become a problem to us, and it became a problem for the disciples because they're now in an environment that they're unfamiliar with. And they, all they're familiar with is what we've got is ours. What we've got is enough for us. We don't have enough for everyone else. And so they're, what, they, what they begin to do is they begin to create this limitation. Now, that limitation is not right because they don't, they're not thinking that they've got the king of the universe with them right there who could take anything, create anything out of anything, and all he's looking for is just a way in. He's just looking for something that he can take and do some incredible miracle. Now, in, in, in the disciples' thinking, what they're thinking at this moment is, well, what we need is a bread truck to come in, right? You know, they're, well, let's pray that a bread truck will come. Well, the bread truck's not coming. Let's pray that somebody caught a whole bunch of fish and they've traveled out here into the wilderness. And can you imagine no ice, fish, traveling, what that would have been like? I mean, that would have been really, 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 really bad. See, what I want you to get tonight is, is that God wants to work inside your box. He wants you to stop looking outside your box for your help. There's no bread truck coming. The bread's already in your hand. You know, Moses, I, I love this, and, and you can look this up later. Moses, you, all of us remember the great testimony of Moses. He's up on the mountain, you know, and 
he and God are talking. Now there's a burning bush and the voice of God's coming to him and however that sounded. And I mean, it's speaking to Moses and he, Moses says, well, Lord, uh, you know, what do I tell them if they ask me what your name is? He says, tell them I am that I am. We remember that from the movies as well. And, and then, then you go to the next, next part of it. And Moses says, well, Lord, you know, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? And what's the first question God says to him? What's in your hand? Now, God's not blind. God is not blind. He said, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, throw it to the ground. And what happened? The rod turned into a servant. He said, take it up again. And he took it up again. So what God did with with Moses was he said, look, you're looking outside the box for how this issue can be fixed. I'm telling you, you already have what you need to fix this. David's the same kind of a situation. What happened with David was Saul tried to get David to go outside the box for his miracle to kill Goliath. What did he do? He said, here, put my armor on. Okay, Saul was six. He's my height. He's six foot six, big guy. I mean, he stood ahead above everybody else. So he's this real big guy. And David's just a ruddy kid who's, you know, maybe, I, we don't know how old he is at the time, but let's say he's 18, 20, some, he's done growing, but he's not a big guy. And so Saul says, well, put my armor on. So there he is. It'd be like you putting my clothes on tonight. So I'm going to take, I'm not going to do it in front of you, but I'll take my clothes off and say, all right, put my clothes on. Now, some of you, maybe some of them would fit okay, but for some of you, if, especially if we took an 18-year-old, let's say we take Michael here, and we say, Michael, you wear my clothes tonight. And so Michael puts on my pants, and he's like, and he puts on my size 15 shoe, and, you know, he's going to look like a clown, right? Because Michael's miracle is not outside the box. Michael's miracle is inside the box. So what did David do? He cast off all the armor, right? Threw it all aside. And he threw the shield down, threw, even put the sword down. He didn't even take the sword with him into battle. And what did he grab? What he already had. His sling. He grabbed his sling. So what I want you to understand tonight is, is that it, in, in our problems that we deal with, they are either they can be for us either a limitation or they can be the leverage that we need for real change. They can be the leverage that we need for real change. So I'm going to give you three things that you can do to leverage things inside the box, okay? Three things to create leverage inside the box. And number one, and we've kind of hinted around this already, and there are things I pick up from this particular testimony in Scripture, is number one, be willing to embrace change. Change is a part of life, and you have to embrace it. And even though we don't, we're uncomfortable with it, we have to be willing to embrace change in our lives. And so that means at times, it, it, like, like one of the things in our, when we did this big shift here in the ministry, we talked about this over and over the last several weeks. You know, when you have been in one place for a while, you accumulate stuff, right? Everybody accumulates stuff. I mean, you know, you got stuff. And the best thing that can help you to face your stuff is to have to go someplace else. Because now you start thinking, 
do I really need this stuff anymore? And, you know, so we're going through the ministry and, and, and we're looking at all the stuff that we've got. And I, I'll just use my own office as an, as an example. So I'm in my office and, man, I've accumulated stuff. I got stuff everywhere. I got my closets got stuff. If you open up the cabinets, I got stuff. I mean, I've got all kinds of stuff. And it doesn't matter what kind of stuff it is. I have stuff that people have given to me. I've got stuff that I've collected from mission trips. I've got stuff that I've, I don't know why I have it. I don't even know where it came from. It's just stuff that went with the other stuff that I have that I don't even use anymore. And I look at some of that stuff and go, why do I have this stuff? Because I don't even, I haven't even used this like in 10 years. So why do I still have it? And I think that, I think if you really, you know, by definition, if you really wanted to define that, I believe they call that hoarding. Okay. And, and the hoarder's motto is, but you never know, Right. That's the horror. But you never know, I might need it someday, right? So like we're going through all our stuff. Everybody's going through stuff. We're, we're making this big transition. And man, we're like, okay, question, do I need this? Well, here's how I, do, I understand if I need it. Have I used it? Have I used it in the last 20 years? Uh, do I even use those books anymore? What am I doing with this stuff? What about those papers? What about these files? What am I, what, why, why do I even have all this stuff? And so here's what you end up, you have to embrace the fact that there is stuff that you have that you don't need anymore. And you're not going to use anymore. So you, got a, you have an option. Option A, give it away. Or option B, throw it away. And if you can't handle all that, then option C is to buy a tote, put it in the tote, put it in the basement. When you're dead, your kids will throw it away. (laughs) Well, it's the truth. I, I I know it's blunt, but it's the truth, okay? So what we end up doing is we just start going through stuff and start going, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need, I don't want to take that with me. I mean, think if you've ever gone through a move where you like have lived somewhere for a long time and then you move into another place, there's a whole lot of stuff that you find that you go, I don't need that stuff anymore. I don't even know why we have that stuff. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take that, I don't want to take that with me. Sharon and I, when we first got married, all our stuff fit in a small trailer. When we moved from our first house after 10 years of pastoring, um, we had to get a big U-Haul to be able to do it and fill a van in a U-Haul to be able to do it. If The next move, if we ever make another move, the next move will be probably two U-Hauls because you accumulate stuff over time and we don't like change. So we got to, if we're going to make change, if we're going to create leverage in our box, the first thing we got to realize is we got to be willing to embrace change. I, I lost all this weight, but the problem was I have all these clothes in my closet that don't fit me anymore. I mean, they don't. They just don't. I put them on. I look like I'm swimming, you know, in these clothes. They look like belong to somebody else. So I have to make a choice. And I'm like, but these are good quality clothes. I mean, I spent, spent a lot of money for these clothes. And, right? 
And, 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 and you know, so I can't, I can't, I, I'm serious. I lost all of this weight, and I still kept them in my closet. They were still hanging up in my closet. I get them out every once in a while and put them on and go, man, these really are baggy, and I got to tighten my belt, and I had to drill a hole in my belt and to just keep my pants up. And then Sharon goes, you know, you don't look good in those clothes. And, you know, when your woman don't think you look good, you're just like, okay, something's got to change. Well, woman, give me some money, and I'll go buy me some new clothes. So I had to make a choice. I can give it away. So they said, well, in fact, some woman, I won't say what her name is, but she is a close family member, not my wife, so don't, don't look at Sharon, said, don't, don't get rid of all of them because you might need them again. True? Isn't that True. Don't get rid of all of it because, you know, at least keep one pair of pants, you know, your fat pants. And I said, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I am not, I have taken this off. It is not coming back. And I'm going to, this is a lifestyle change, not a minute change. So I'm not keeping any of this stuff. I'm getting rid of all of it. And I got rid of every last bit of it, gave it away, found people that could wear it, good stuff, put it, give it to Goodwill or whatever. Because here's the thing. In our familiarity, what we are doing in our lives, because we love familiarity, is we are limiting our future. You know, I'm going to be blessed because whatever you sow, you reap, right? So if I sow clothes, I'm going to reap clothes, praise God. And that's a good thing. So if you don't embrace change, here's what will end up happening. You will repeat the same plans of the past. You will repeat the same plans of the past. Because we like what's comfortable, it's hard for us to make those kinds of changes. To make those kinds. You know, my golf game used to be just horrible. It's not that great yet. Golf is like the hardest uh, to me. Is I, I mean, I play basketball. I still do play basketball. And basketball is way easier than golf. Because it seems like no matter what you do from week to week, your, your golf game is not the same. It's, it just is not consistent. And I don't know if it's the wind or if it's what I ate or whatever, but it just changes. But two years ago, I made a decision that I was going to have to make some changes in my golf game. And to do that, it was, it was really hard for me to do it. And actually, it got worse for a while because I made the change. And I used to like, somebody had years ago told me that you have to put the ball at a certain place in your stance. You know, so the further, they, I forget how it was, but I think the further back, the higher you wanted the loft to go, the, the, the more you had to move it in your stance. And then I read this one article, because I was struggling then, you know, going up near, you know, fi- high 50s towards 60. And I was like, well, uh, on nine holes, I'm like, okay, so what do I, what, what's this, what do I need to do to change? And the guys, one guy just told me, just hit the ball. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm doing. That doesn't help me. I says, well, where, where does the ball go in your stance? He goes, just hit the ball. I said, yeah, but don't you have to like move it around? And what about the grip? You know, what about your grip? What if you, do you need to change your grip? And, you know, is this, is over the thumb and is that better? And if you don't like golf, just ignore all that, okay? And uh, I read an article that said, stop moving the ball around in your stance. Just put it right in the middle, same place all the time. And just hit it in the middle, just every single time, put it in the middle. And my, I, I took strokes off of my game because I did the same thing. At the beginning, though, 
it was very uncomfortable for me because I've been used to moving that ball all around and trying to figure out where it goes in my stance. Change is not, change is not easy for us. You know, you have a thing in you. I don't know if you know this about your physical body, but they have a thing called muscle memory. And in your body, you get a muscle memory about something. It's very hard to break a muscle memory because your, your body just reacts. You also have an emotional memory. And your emotional memory is your knee-jerk response when stuff happens to you. You don't even control it. It's just, there it is. Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. Where'd that come from? Have you ever thought that? Why did I say that? That's just crazy. You know, I, would not, I don't believe that. Why would I say it? Because that's your knee-jerk reaction to something that you've embedded into your emotional thinking in your life. If you and I, if we want to truly create leverage in the box, we have to be willing to embrace change. We change in the box, and then God changes the box. Because God's going to use what's in the box to change the box. That's what happened with the disciples. It's what they had is where their miracle was. It's not what was on the outside. It was what was already on the inside. Dan Brown said, sometimes a change of perspective is all it takes to see the light. Another great author said this, sometimes you feel like you want to change everything when all you actually need to do is just change your perspective, the way that you're looking at things. You're not looking at things the right way. So, number one, we have to be willing to embrace change because change is a part of life. In fact, everything is going to change in your life in the next 10 years. It's all going to change, okay? And so life is going to change, economy is going to change, things are going to... But the consistent thing in your life is, what are you doing with what's in your box, not with what's outside your box, Okay? And you embrace the change of what's happening. These disciples only could think of one way to do things because that was what they were familiar with. They're familiar with, we need bread, we go to the bread store, we buy bread. We need fish, we go down to the market, we buy fish. Jesus says, stop looking at the bread market, stop looking at the fish market, and just give me what you have already. And that's what God's saying to you tonight. What do you got in your hand? What is that? Is that a rod? What is that? What do you got that's available that I can use in your life right now, right now? And here's the thing. If we do not embrace change in our lives, we will live our lives with what's called, it's a terrible syndrome. It's called someday syndrome. Well, someday I'll get healthy. Someday I'll get out of debt. Someday I'll prosper. Someday I'll get on a better nutrition, you know, better nutrition system. And I know you hear me talk a lot about, you know, taking care of yourself. Because look, I want you to live a long life. Amen. I want you to live a long I don't want to have to visit you in the I will visit you in the hospital, but I really don't want to. I don't like hospitals. I want you to be healthy and live a long life. Amen. And then just someday you just kick the bucket and you're gone. Praise God. And you're just out of here in your sleep or whatever, you know, or you, you know, but you're a ripe old age of 120 years old and it's over with glory. Excellent. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. And that's possible. Absolutely. But not if you eat every piece of junk that comes down the pike and not if you don't exercise. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate the kind words. You got to be willing to embrace change. Number two, you got to erase excuses. This is a hard one. 
Excuses are tough to get rid of. You know why they're so hard to get rid of? Because I like what Alexander Pope said. An excuse is worse than a lie, for, for an excuse is a lie that is guarded. See, we're emotionally invested into our lies. We guard them. We protect them. Excuses, Howard Wright said, excuses are lies wrapped up in reason. It's all the reasons we tell ourselves why we can't, why can't. You know, it's what the disciples did. We don't have no food. We can't do nothing. They had food all the time. The miracle was right there in their midst. They had the opportunity. They just had to, they had to be willing to lay aside their excuses for why they couldn't do what needed to be done. You and I, we have to erase our excuses. Not only be willing to embrace change, but erase our excuses. See, in the box right now, you own the box. You're in that box right now in your life. And if you're expecting that everything in your box is going to change today by some external source coming in or somebody, you know, I don't know, you know, somebody apologizing to you or somebody giving you something, it's not coming. So I just flat out tell you it's not because that's not how God's going to work. God's going to use what's in the box to change the box. So if you think your financial resources are all going to change because you're going to win the lottery, you're deceiving yourself. That isn't even God's plan. But if God gave me that lottery money, I just know I could make a difference. Well, just make it. How about you make a difference with the 200 bucks or 300 bucks you make a week already or 500 bucks or a thousand or whatever it is. Make a difference with that and then you'll create opportunities for the other. But you see, if we think in our lives that, the, that things are going to change because something externally is going to come in, you know, it's kind of like how we um, sometimes uh, when there's a problem we're dealing with with somebody, we, we say stuff like, well, I'm just going to pray that God will talk to them. And show them they're wrong. Okay? What you just said was is that you're a coward. And you're the one that needs to talk to them. Now, you got to talk to them, you know, in love. You, you know, you speak the truth in love, but you can't. Well, I'm just going to pray that God will just talk to them. All my kids I've talked to about the Lord. All of them. Have I ever had hard, hard conversations with them? You better believe I have. Have they always liked what I had to say? No. Have I ever cried while I was talking to them? Yes. Yes. I have one of my one of my children, man, we got into I mean, I we just got into it. I mean, it was a bad deal, but it was a life-changing experience. I you know, I pray for them all the time, but it wasn't going to change until we confronted the real issues of what was going on in this situation. And I mean, it was a it was an incredibly difficult thing. And you know, I can pray, well, Lord, I just pray that some Christian somewhere will come in and will talk to them and tell them the truth and that they'll look. And you know what God says? You're the some Christian. You're already in the situation. You talk to them. Now watch. Well, I can't. Why can't you? They won't listen to me. That's a lie. That's a lie you're telling yourself to protect yourself. Don't do that. Well, they might get offended. They might, but if you love them, they'll be fine. They might not call for a while, so they don't call for a while. But they will because you did your part. See, do you see what I'm saying, how that we'll make excuses for why we can't? And so we end up with that someday syndrome, and we're just like, well, I can't do that. I just So we guard ourselves. We guard our, 
our excuses. We, we just get in the midst of there and we're very protective of that. I can't start tithing. You know, Becky had that word about tithing. I can't do that. I mean, I got bills. See, well, yeah, you can. Sure you can. Sharon and I did it when we made $300 a, a month and lived on $25 in groceries a month. We did it every single month. Now, could we have used that money for food? We had a little boy. We had, sure, but we, we, were, we were trusting God to take care of us and provide for us in the midst of that. We weren't going, well, God, you'll have to send the extra money in from somewhere so we can tithe. See, I hear people say that. Well, God, if you'll give me the extra money, then I'll give. No, he's not going to do that. He, you give him the money you have, and then he'll give you extra money to take care of the rest. You say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't know if I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't know if I much like that. Well, it doesn't matter whether we like it or not. It's just the reality of what the Word teaches. We're like, we want, the, I want the windows of heaven open, but I want it on my terms, and that is that God, you open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. There's not room enough for me to receive, and then I'll tithe. And God says, no, no, no. I want you to tithe and give your offering, and then I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I'll speak blessing over everything you've got, and you won't have room enough to receive it. Well, see, excuses become very, very difficult for us because we are emotionally invested in them to protect ourselves. So I can't change what I, my diet, I can't change my exercise pattern, I can't change my spiritual life because I have invested myself into this emotional idea that I can't do it. But I'm telling you that in the box right now, in the box is the answer already to your, to your miracle inside there. Well, I can't read. I had somebody the other day, wasn't, uh, wasn't the person I normally talk about with this. Somebody else the other day says, well, I just don't read, read real well. And so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't read the, I don't read much of the Bible. And I said, you need to get on a daily reading program. Well, yeah, but I'm not a very good reader. I don't care whether you're a good reader or not. I'm not asking you to read the whole thing in one day. I'm asking you just to read a little bit every day. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes to do it. Just follow our reading program. Well, I, I'm, I, but, but what if I don't know words? Write them down, bring them to church with you. I'll, get, I'll tell you what they mean. Well, what, if the, what, about, what if there's a lot of begats? Well, then just go through them quickly. <laughs> right? So he says, well, I can't say all the names. You know what I do when I can't say them? I just move on. Right? Just move on right along. Let's get to the meat here. I don't really care who has a bub's dad was, right? Doesn't make any difference. Meant something to Hezebub, but don't mean nothing to me. <laughs> See, what's your excuses that you're using right now? What about inside your box right now? What's your excuse? Well, you know, uh, pastor, um, it's, uh, I'll get, someday I'll get out of debt. Someday I'll get committed to cutting my credit card. Someday I'll get in a place where I live by cash. Someday. There you are. See, someday. So what's going to get you to Someday. What has to happen to get you to someday? And I'm telling you that someday will never come until you use what's in the box already. Your answer isn't outside the box. Your answer is inside your box right now. Wow, this is good preaching. I have to encourage myself. You're looking at me funny. Number three. And this is always true with everything with faith. You have to exercise obedience. The miracle is in you doing your part. God has a part. You have a part. 
you have to do your part. Your miracle is in you doing your part. You have to exercise obedient. Um, one man said it like this, take action. An inch of movement will bring you closer to your goals than a mile of intention. I always tell Larry, whenever I hit the ball and it goes way off to the right somewhere, or sometimes it'll go way off to the left somewhere because we're golf partners. I said, but at least no matter that it went to the right or it went to the left, it didn't go backwards. Now, I was golfing with a friend of mine, Lauren Ward, and one time he did hit, a, he hit, and I did see the ball go backwards, actually. He hit a tree in front of him, and it actually bounced about 100 yards behind him. I've only seen that happen one time. Yeah. But, but, but see, here's the thing. At least you're moving closer to where you want to go. You say, well, Pastor, what, what, I, I, what if I can't tithe? Well, first of all, I don't believe you can't, but why don't you start doing something? See, don't let what, I like what John Wooden said, don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can do. So you can do something. Well, I can't, I don't want to, if I start lifting weights or if I start, you know, doing uh, running or whatever, I might have, well, then don't try to do all of that. Just get out and do something, especially in this weather. If you get out and walk, you're going to, you'll, you'll get, you'll burn calories big time in this humidity. I promise you. You got to do you have to do your part. Jesus, I love this. If you look at this in 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 Mark chapter 8 as we wrap up tonight. In Mark chapter 8 it said, "Look, these guys, Jesus asked what they had, and then it says he commanded verse 6, the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples to set before them." Now, I want you to notice here in the miracle, these guys are not being handed a bunch of bread. We got seven loaves, right? We got 12 disciples. So we're going to take a loaf, and we're not talking about like a giant wheel loaf here. You know, we're talking about a loaf of bread. So we're going to break off, and I'm going to give a loaf to half a loaf to you, and I'm going to give half a loaf to you. And here's a fish. I got one fish. And I got one fish for you, and I'm going to give a half a loaf to Chuck, and, and then I'm going to give a, a full loaf to Mike because I got a full loaf that I can give to him and give him a fish. And so we're going to pass out all the stuff to the 12. And then I tell all of you, okay, guys, I bless this now. I gave thanks for it. Now you take and give it to the people. Now, what for them, what, what were they thinking at this particular moment? Hey, wait a minute. I got uh, Okay. You know, okay, here, take a piece of bread, but don't take too much because I only got a half a loaf, right? Here's a little piece. What do you give, like a fish eyeball? Here's a fish eyeball, and you can have that, and just go ahead and, you know, use it like pate. Just smear it on the bread, and it'll be all right. And no, what they did is they started to disperse to these people. These 12 disciples begin to disperse to these people from the small amount that they have. But while they're doing it, they notice that what they have isn't getting any smaller. It's just continuing to be what it is. It's more than enough. And I know that that like it, they, they show like on when you see the Jesus films and that, like all of a sudden the baskets became full of bread and the baskets, became, if, you, if you've ever seen the baskets, 
We have no evidence of that whatsoever. That's nice in a movie, but we don't know that from the scripture. I mean, you think about you're one of the disciples. You say, well, I love Jesus. I'll do whatever he said. And he says, all right, here's half a loaf. Go feed a thousand people. And you're like looking at it going, okay, well, how do we do that? Just go do it. I blessed it. See, always, always in your miracle, there's an obedience that has to happen. There has to be some kind of a step that we're taking forward. But the miracle that happened for them, how did this affect their lives that day? You know, they'd seen Jesus do miracles, right? They saw Jesus do, I mean, this is pretty, I mean, it's great that they were healing the sick and they saw things with people, you know, the lame getting up and blind eyes opening. But they have just now witnessed a supernatural provision miracle in their lives. They witnessed for themselves firsthand God using them to supernaturally multiply stuff that was small to begin with and make it miraculous and take care of everybody. How did that affect their life that day? How did they walk away from this experience? See, Jesus blessed the food, but it was the disciples that distributed it. So here's what I want you to gather out of this. It's time for miracles to start happening in your box. Your box could be your business. Your box can be your life, your finances, can be your your place of employment. I love when people come to me in the church and say, Pastor, you can't talk about this from the pulpit. You can't use my name. But I just want you to know they told everybody at work that nobody's getting a raise this year, but then they called me in the office and gave me a raise. They brought me in and said, nobody's getting a bonus this year because we're, we didn't have enough, but they gave me, but then they called me over and said, here's a bonus check for you, but don't tell anybody that you got it. Why does that happen? Because these people, and they'll always tell me, they said, because they were faithful with what they had inside their box. They weren't looking outside the box. Well, when I get a bonus, when I get a raise, when I get a whatever, then I'll be really good. Then I'll work really hard. Then I'll be really faithful. No, man, it happened because they were doing it before that ever came. They took what they had in the box. It's time for miracles to start happening in your box. Stop looking outside. Stop looking somewhere else. Stop looking at someday. Start looking at what you have right now. Sharon and I, many times, we we wanted to be able to sow, and uh, we just didn't have anything to sow. So, you know, we we wanted to give money, and we we didn't have any money to give. So we never allowed that to limit us from sowing. So we just went home, and we found things that we loved in our own stuff and gave it away. We just found people and gave it away. I mean, I've given Bibles away. I've given clothes away, suits away. One Sunday morning, um, I mean, I just... And, and these are supernatural breakthroughs. My pastor had given me a, a beautiful diamond gold, uh, a gold diamond ring. Uh, he had given me a, a 14 karat gold bracelet. I mean, it was awesome. And there was a miracle to get to that story. But I mean, I had to, I mean, it was, it was, it was awesome stuff. I mean, I, I don't wear a lot of gold and stuff, but it was really nice, um, really nice stuff. For a kid that was raised in the projects, it was really, really nice stuff. And um, I had all the, I had a, I had a, I had a new suit on. I mean, I had a brand new, a Bible man that I had put tons of notes in and I was standing in the front of the church and the Lord said, I want you to give it all away. I said, well, wait. He said, no, I want you to give it all away. 
I said, well, Lord, but that my pastor gave that to me, that bracelet and that ring. It has a, has him, he says, I want you to give it away. And so I said, one of the guys there, I said, Brad, come up here. Brad, Brad Pugh is his name, and he was one of our ushers. I said, Brad, the Lord told me to give this ring to you. I took it off. And, and then I said, there was another guy, and I said, uh, this, this uh, bracelet, gave that bracelet to him. And, you know, and, and, and Sharon and I didn't hardly have anything then. I mean, we, 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 we were just barely scraping by, and, and the Lord's telling me to do all. But here's what happened. I, I gave the suit away. I gave it away to a guy. I said, you know, I, the Lord, Sharon said, she looked up there, and she said, I could just see Richard standing up there naked. He gave everything away. I mean, everything. Everything was gone. And, and I'm only telling you this because I believe that in that moment, what God was doing in my life was preparing me for the next moment where my box just, box just got bigger. And if I had stood back and says, no, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. And no, I can't do that. Look, can I tell you, especially with money, it's just so this will help all of us. We are stewards, not owners. We're stewards, not owners. And we can't get emotionally attached to stuff because the minute you get emotionally attached to stuff, stuff will corrupt you. It will corrupt your thinking about it. I mean, I love, you know, you heard Jeannie talk about Sunday about that lovely red Corvette that Mark Chaffin had and how much he loved that Corvette. And he'd go out and play with it in the garage. And I mean, you know, when it was cold, he'd shine it. And it just was, a, and it was a nice car. I mean, he, on nice, on days like this, he'd put the top down and he and Jeannie'd ride out in the, you know, in their beautiful red convertible Corvette. And God told him to give it away. Give it away. He gave it away to a couple of kids. One of them had just turned 16. And he blessed them with it. See, if you become too emotionally attached to stuff, it'll control your life. Too emotionally attached. If you become... Okay, I'll stop, I promise. If you become too attached to your feelings... It'll corrupt your life. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll corrupt your life. I've been offended so many times in my life. I mean, for just, I mean, just offended. And I could, with my kids, Sharon, I mean, it's just, you know, you get, you get angry. People say stuff. Sometimes people don't know what they're saying. Sometimes people do stuff and you get mad. I mean, you get upset. But if you're too, if you're more committed to your feelings than you are to your obedience to God, you'll end up corrupting yourself with those, that emotional bondage. You have to forgive. You just got to move on. Just have to realize people are people. Look at the person next to you and say, people are people. They are. They just are. And, and you know, and, and here's something I learned. A long, long, I've, I mean, and it's a lesson I keep reminding myself. I have offended a lot of people. I used to stand up in the pulpit and say, look, if I've ever offended you, I want you to come see me after church. But too many people were coming to see me. And so I was like, okay, I can't emotionally deal with this anymore. So I'm not going to say it anymore. So if I've offended you, sorry, get over it. Okay. We'll just move on. Well, you, that offended me that you said that, but see that, but, but, but it's true. I used to say, look, if I've hurt you, it's hindering you and your faith. Let me help you come see me you know, I apologize and let's make it right and fix it. And like I said, several people, I was like shocked at sometimes who the people were that nobody here tonight. The people that would come and say, you know, what you said really offended me. That really hurt. I'm like, oh, well, okay. I'm sorry. I really am. I, I mean it. 
move on. Praise God. So number one, you got to embrace change. You got to embrace it. Number two, you got to deal with your excuses. And number three, get with it. Start doing something. Little becomes much when we put it in the hands of God. Stand up with me if you would. Father, we thank you tonight for the power of your word. We love, Lord God, that you speak to us. Uh, Lord, you took just uh, seven loaves and a few fish, a few fish, God. We don't even know how many fish there were, just a few, and fed 4,000 people. I think of the, the trust the disciples had, Lord God, to take that bread and begin to disperse it, that they laid it all on the line at that moment in their faith to trust you. And Father, I just pray that we would have that kind of faith in our lives. We wouldn't make excuses anymore, Lord God, for why we can't do stuff. And we'd just start saying, I can. We'd realize, Lord God, that in the midst of change, there's always that level of incompetence that we deal with because we are not familiar with where we are. But Lord, that we realize in the midst of that, in that change, that we're making progress, Father God, and we're moving forward and we're not moving backwards. Father, I pray tonight that those who are, Lord, maybe standing on the, they're, they're standing at the fork in the road. They, they are trying to make a decision. Do I go this way or do I go that way? Do I go all in or do I uh, go on reserve and just kind of stay on remote control here? Father, I just pray tonight that they feel the compulsion of your Holy Spirit, your spirit, to go all in as those disciples did, Lord God, and took the bread and did what you said. Father, I pray tonight for those who are struggling. And I recognize, Lord God, struggles are real. Pain is real. Suffering is real. It's all real, and you've done it all. Jesus, you went through all of that and dealt with it. So you are not unfamiliar with any pain, any suffering, any anguish, whether it's emotionally, mentally, physically. You are familiar with all of it, but you overcame. Father, tonight I pray for those who are struggling with pain in their bodies. In fact, if you have pain in your body right now, I want you to put your hand on that area, wherever that pain is, okay? And, uh, you know, if, and, and look, we're not looking around right now to see who's doing that. And if you're dealing with pain in your thoughts right now, I just want you to put your hand on your, your forehead, maybe that emotional, it's okay, or over your heart maybe, wherever that works for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you bore our pains. You bore that pain for us. Lord Jesus, we tonight, Lord God, we ask for your supernatural healing. We give you our pain, God. We cannot bear this. This is something we need your help. And so, Lord God, we give this to you, Lord, and help us. Lord, that we, Lord, in the fellowship of the suffering that we deal with, Lord God, we're experiencing the power of your resurrection. And I thank you for that, Father God, tonight. Let healing, Lord, flow, especially uh, someone that's here tonight. You're dealing with pain in your hip, um, that, that physical pain. In the name of Jesus, I command your hip to go back into place. I command that pain in your sciatic to leave in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I speak alignment to your body right now. And that the Holy Spirit begins to move to, sh- to alter the sinew, the, the muscle, the ligaments, the tissue in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name 
above every name. I speak to the one tonight who's dealing with, um, has uh, been having these pains in the back of their head, uh, up above, just, a, just right at where the neck and the cranium are, the, the skull is, this pain that has just been uh, so aggravating to you. I loose that in the name of Jesus. I loose those nerves right now. I loose that tension that you're dealing with there in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Nerve, relax. Muscles, relax. In the name of Jesus. In the name above every name. And we thank you for it, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to embrace change, to break excuses, Lord God, and Lord, to take activation tonight in our lives. And we thank you for it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. Have an excellent evening.